So let's, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to continue um, in this series. We're going to continue in 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to uh, get the rest of the passage that I read last week, but we didn't get to unpack. And so, if you would, we're going to read, starting in verse 12, we're going to read down to 26. Um, and we kind of covered 12 and 13 last week. We'll do, uh, we're going to look to do 14 through 26 today. So read with me, and then we'll ask God to help us. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members of or in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Excuse me. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor of. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. God, as always, and let, let's not, let this not become a ritual, but let, let us in this moment acknowledge your word is authoritative. Father, we ask for your help as we approach your word that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. We believe that you have our good in mind, that your glory and our good are one in the same, and that you want to advance both this morning. So, Father, for, for all of your hearers that are gathered here in the building, um, and, or perhaps online, we, we, we ask that you would be kind to us by sending your Spirit to just faithfully, personally, but also corporately reveal your truth to us. So we confess this is your word. We ask that you would use it to your glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we confess that each week was kind of a part of our, our deal and say, this is the word of the Lord. And we, and we want to we do that to just establish God's authority and his word's authority in our life and in our church. Uh, because <clears throat> it's crucial that we do that because we want the Bible, we want to allow the Bible to shape how we view things, how we view the world, how we view ourselves, how we view certainly his church, right? And, and that seems obvious in many ways, right? Like, okay, of course, that's what, what we want to do. But it, we have to be careful uh, because Sometimes things that God has for us can get lost uh, in our subtle presumptions that we make about the church or ourselves or the world based on our, you know, preconceived 
whatever, fill in the blank, whatever we were taught, whatever the, the culture says. And, and when we bring those things in and we, we look at the Bible through the lens of fill in the blank, right? Whether that be our tradition, our upbringing, where we were raised as a country, what, what our, when we look at the Bible and, and we, we try to read through that lens and we see what the Bible has to say about our agenda, then we miss out. Instead, we need to lay all other agendas aside and say, okay, Lord, this is ultimate. This is authoritative. And I want this to inform how I view everything else, the country I live in, the people that I have in my home and that I hang out with, and my mission, my, my work, all of that. We want to let the, the Bible inform that. And so one of those ways that, that I, I've been challenged this week as I've been reading this passage, and, and really it's interesting, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, right? And we've talked about some gifts that are unfamiliar to us, and, and, and we've paused to sort of lean in a lot here because I think one of the shifts that the, the church in general, but, but us specifically, um, has, has done is we, we can tend to default to a, a more consumer mentality where we sort of come and watch or come and receive, not the show, but, but you, you kind of get the idea where uh, it's, it's, it's some active people on the stage and the rest are passive recipients. Um, and so we've, we've begun to, to stop and, and let the, the Word of God um, have its bearing on our, our church, our operating uh, procedures as a church, and we see that, 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 that God has designed it as such that no one person is giving the fullness or is given the fullness of gifts to display Jesus, but rather together, right, together corporately as his body, one member, one body with many members, many parts display Jesus. And so we've paused to sort of walk through each of those gifts and, and we've got more to walk through. But in the middle of that, in the middle of this discussion on gifts, we find two of the most beautiful passages, I think, in the New Testament. And one of them you're really familiar with, because chapter 13 is, is one that is read at many weddings and is, is just is a really familiar passage, the, the passage about love. But it's interesting to know that that passage is tucked in. The context is about spiritual gifts. The context is about how do we operate together as a church. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to see that in its context. And, and likewise, likewise, you probably heard some version of this illustration. Paul gives a similar one in Romans, uh, where he talks about uh, the body being uh, interconnected and even interdependent. And so uh, in this sort of pause, as I said last week, Paul's been talking about spiritual gifts, and he sort of goes, okay, wait, it's like this, right? And so he's, he's trying to explain it. He realizes it's confusing for them because what they've done is, is brought their cultural understanding into the church, Right? So they've accepted Jesus, they believe in Jesus, they're following Jesus, but they, they haven't allowed Jesus to change everything yet. Rather, they're, they're bringing Jesus into what they already understand about life and the culture. And, and for them, what they value in life is, is uh, you know, upward mobility and being able to gain status and influence and things like that. And so uh, they have lots of different platforms to do that. There's there's a, there's a high value on being able to teach, on being able to impress a crowd. In the, the, the culture of Corinth, that is what's going on. And so they've sort of brought that into the church. And, and what that has led to is as God has moved in particular gifts, in particular ways, as God has gifted some people with the ability to heal or the, the gifted some people with, with incredible ability to teach or to so on, that instead of bringing unity, instead of bringing a manifestation of the goodness of God, it has instead brought division. 
because they brought their cultural mindset into the church. Well, okay, I can use this to gain my own status, to, gain, to add to my own upward mobility or however you want to phrase that. And so in this, Paul is understanding, okay, this is difficult for them to understand. So some people get this gift, some people get this gift, and he goes, okay, wait, wait, it's like this. With the body, it's one body, but there's hands, there's, there's feet, there's eyes, there's ears, there's an elbow, there's ligaments, there's all of those pieces, but, and, and they play a different role, and some get more noticed than others, and yet it is all a part of one body. So that's where we find ourselves, and, and I think if we're not careful, we can move past this passage too quickly and sort of apply it at a um, surface level as something that sounds nice. Okay, we don't want to discard our hand. We don't want there to be division. We want to have, you know, sort of a, a mutual feeling of acceptance about each other. But I, but I think if, if we aren't careful, we can move too quickly past that and miss what God has for us because our culture, Western culture in particular, um, maybe more, maybe even a little bit more so American culture, uh, we value independence, don't we? And, and in many ways, rightly so. Don't hear me saying that we should, don't call me a socialist, okay? That's not what I'm saying. It's not where I'm going. But again, we got to let the Bible inform what we're, what we're hearing. Not, not, that, that's where we get you know, in trouble. You hear one mention of something and you're like, oh, this guy must mean that. No, no, no. Let's let the Bible inform us. Because many of us are taught, and, and again, in many ways, rightfully so, as far as, you know, the Bible is clear. If you don't work, you don't eat. Like, if, if, you're, if you don't work out of laziness, then you should not be bumming and, and you know, receiving off of the labors of everybody else. No, no, we all contribute. We all uh, care for our own you know, needs and things like that. The Bible's very, very clear about that. However, too often we overemphasize this idea of independence, and when we do that, we miss out on part of what God has for us. Now, let me explain. Okay, hang with me. Here at The Journey, we talk a lot about community, right? Uh, Pretty regularly, not quite every week, but pretty regularly, you'll hear us say something like, hey, we want to invite you into the, the, the life of our church beyond this service, right? We want to invite you into the life of our church beyond this service. Why? Because God has so much more for us as his people than just coming to this service. That's not to devalue this. We hope that you're blessed. We hope that God moves. And I look forward to this each week, right? I love worshiping God together. I love being in the gathering together. However, so much of what God has for us happens when we gather outside of a large group, outside of Sunday morning worship, and we, we do life together in what we call community groups. You, you may have been uh, you know, in a church that called them small groups, or even Sunday school is, is a similar principle. It has a di little bit different aim, but nonetheless, when the church breaks down into smaller groups so that we can be known on a deeper level, we can do life together, God has more for us than just this. And so we invite people into community pretty regularly, and, and we use something like that to to uh, make that appeal, right? That God wants us to be known by Jesus, right? We, we also phrase it this way, redemptive relationships, right? To be in a redemptive relationship with Jesus, right? Where he's forgiving us our sins and he's making us like him. But part of the way that he does that is to be in redemptive relationships with one another, to be known by one another, right? So we talk about that quite regularly and we'll continue to do so. And, and, and the idea of community in church has become a really popular idea. It's kind of a buzzword. Everybody uh, likes to talk about having community. And, and, and most people uh, are even attracted to the idea of being in community or being unified. But we miss out because the very thing that, that we're often not willing to sacrifice to get that community is our own autonomy. 
we get a rub there. Because we've been taught to not, that the, the, the higher value in our society is to not need anybody, right? Is to be fully independent. And, and you think about it, like, and we're taught that, and, and in many ways, right, when it comes to financial, like, it, that is a good and right principle, but when we apply it to life in general, we get some really messed up people, and there's a lot of people that, that have had to do a lot of work in, in the realm of mental health because the, the world has told them it's not okay to, to need others, and we get this deficient and anemic view of, of who God has called us to be and who the church is called to be when we don't realize that we're called to be dependent upon one another in God's body. And that's what this passage is getting at today. So again, hang with me. Let's look at this together because I realize that's a, that's a bit of a challenging uh, idea. I, I saw, uh, I think somebody from our church posted uh, or reposted uh, a quote from David Platt, who's a pastor that, that I admire out in DC. And, and he said, we, need to, we desperately need to examine how much of our understanding of the gospel is American versus biblical. Okay, and hear what, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay, not, we're not, we're not going and saying, you know, that America is bad or we don't care about politics, we don't care, but I'm just saying in, in especially, especially in a time of an election, we can get caught up in so many other things and we can begin to read those into the Bible rather than allowing us to read those through the lens of the Bible. And so what he's saying is we need to carefully examine this and let this inform how we live our life rather than bringing some other lens to overlay it, okay? So I think that's helpful to think about. And here's what Paul is getting at, okay? So last week we talked about how we have to view the church rightfully in that you all are just as much a part of the church as I am or as anybody who was on this stage earlier leading us in worship or anybody that is on staff, that, that we are all members of the same body. And, and, and God doesn't just look at the people who have the microphones to influence the church or to be active in the church. Rather, it is, it is all one body with many members. So he's going to continue on in this, this same idea in verse 14. He, he reemphasizes, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. He said, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he'll go on to say, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Okay, so here's what he's saying. It, it, it's ridiculous to think about, you, you know, I want you to actually think about your body parts. I want you to think about a foot saying to yourself, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body anymore. I won't play this game. I won't, I won't serve the body. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, that's ludicrous, right? It's silly. It's kind of laughable. And that's the point. Paul wants you to think that's ridiculous. Because it is, right? Physically, biologically, what good is a foot without a body? Right? What good is a foot to, to, to throw a fit because he's not a hand to say, well, I'm not a part of the body anymore? What's well, silly? Silly, and that's what Paul wants us to get. And he goes, it's the same thing. He says, if I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. If I can't be an eye, if I can't get that, you know, people don't notice me, then I'm not going to be a part of the body. Well, that's silly. Well, Paul is saying the same thing. When it comes to the church and how we view ourselves and one another, it's foolish to think that just because I didn't get this gift, right, because I didn't get this uh, um, anointing or this ability to, to preach, teach, sing, um, speak in tongues, prophecy, things like that, that 
you know, if I don't get to do that, if they don't let me on stage, or if I don't get to play this role, or if I don't get to be the, the you know, director of the children's ministry, or what, fill in the blank, like to say, well, then I'm not a part of the body. Paul's saying, no, 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 you're missing, you're missing the whole big idea because, again, if we're one body with many members, then it's not about one being better than the other. And here's, here's, here's where I think it's going to make a little bit more sense because here's what Paul says as he continues to explain. In verse 17, uh, or actually, verse 17, he says, if everybody was an eye, where would the, the sense of hearing be? So, so again, we, we got to think about that. If, if you were all called to be preachers, it'd be pretty obnoxious, wouldn't it? I figured I'd get a more hearty amen out of somebody, but it's all right. But, but you know what I mean? Like, that wouldn't make sense. If God calls everybody to be, you know, a singer, then, then, then there's no, if God calls everybody to be a leader, like, we, we have to understand that, no, no, just as valuable are the people that God has, has called to, to quietly serve in significant ways than the ones that everybody sort of sees. And he's going to continue to talk about that in the coming verses, but, but I want you to I want us to base it upon this, because verse 18, he says, but as it is, okay, as it is, that this is a statement of truth, this is how God made it to be, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That doesn't sound like, we're like, okay, yeah, cool. No, I want you to think about that. Because here's the deal, and, and Paul's going to say uh, again in verse 24, but God has so composed the body. So here's where we, where we miss out on a lot of what God has for us. When we come into the church, being not just the gatherings we talked about last week, but rather the, the life of the body, the life of God's people doing his mission and living life together. When we come into that, the, the, this, this body, and we're thinking primarily about self-composition, meaning we're thinking primarily about what does this gain me? How does this uh, benefit me? How do I get uh, recognized or value out of this deal? When we come into it with that mindset, we're going to miss out on what God has for the body at large, but also for ourselves. Because here's what he says. It, it, God has put all of these people, all of the members together together, as he chose. So it's not, okay, these sort of people drifted to this church because they're, you know, they like this thing or whatever. No, no, God is putting local bodies together and, and together the, the collective, you know, uh, capital C church together on purpose for his glory. And we should not diminish that. So, so here's what this starts to get. Uh, this starts to inform how we look at one another. Because now if we realize, okay, God has these people here for a reason. And, and we think about that in terms of, you know, our pastors and our leaders. Oh, God called his, God has called this person here for this season to do this role. And, that, and that's not wrong to think about it in that way. But we need to not stop there. We need to not stop there. We need to roll that on out to the rest of the body that God has called each of you here for this season. And I hate that we're in two services right now. I hate that we're not together to, 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 to go through this series, but I'm trusting that God has a, has a reason and a purpose, and, and he's going to use this for our good. But we need to understand that. And when you look around the room, go ahead, look around the room. You, you can begin to, to, to see that God has brought each of you here for this season, for his glory, and for his mission. Each of you, not just, not just myself, not just the other staff, not just the band, like each of us. 
He brought each of us here. So this is about what God is putting together. Okay, so now that changes perspective because if we're talking about self-composition, right? What, how, can I, how can this bring value to who I'm trying to become as a person? Okay, if you're coming in there, then here's what happens with some people that, that maybe aren't your favorite. You ever have somebody, particularly in church, that, that, that God kind of puts in your life and you're like, man, Lord, I could have done without them, right? Because they just sort of seem to suck the life out of you. You ever had anybody like that? Yeah, so we can have that sometimes, where relationships just seem more challenging than they are, like they seem to to take more life than they do give it. We've had, if you're honest with yourself, you've had relationships like that. Well, listen, how you view that person depends on how you view the church. Because here's here's the deal. If if we're thinking, okay, God has this in mind for all of our good to reveal himself more fully to us. As we're going to talk about in verse 13 or in chapter 13, when he talks about love, that's in the context of the church. We hear often, we, we hear the, the John uh, 13, I don't know if it's 34, 35, I forget the exact verse, but John 13 says that um, this new commandment to love one another, and if we love one another, the world will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. We, we sort of think about that in this ethereal sense. Okay, we need to show kindness to one another. We need to uh, not tear each other down, and, that, and that's all true, but, but I think Paul is going to show us a, a, a further application of that when we um, serve one another, when we activate together as the body of Christ and love one another, that then we see that this is part of how God wants to reveal himself, not just to the world, but also to us. So here's what I'm getting at. I, I was uh, talking to some friends of mine uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and they were um, talking about somebody that was, was in their life that was a bit more challenging uh, in their group. And, um, and at times, it was easy to just kind of go, man, Lord, I, I'm wore out with them. But they had another friend, which is another use of the body of Christ, speaking truth to one another, helping each other see the truth. Another reason we, we are not fully independent. We need one another. We're interdependent upon one another. She had another friend that, that reminded her, listen, you're not just here for that person. Because that's what it felt like. This person needed a lot of help, and God was just asking a lot of this person to pull them along, Right? This person was struggling in a lot of ways, and every day it was a new struggle. It's the type of relationship where every time you see their number on the phone, you, your heart sort of sinks, right? And you go, whew, I don't know. I don't know if I got it in for them today, right? It's that sort of relationship where it seemed like, okay, God is asking a lot of me to pull this person along. Well, this, my, my friend's um, friend helped her see how actually, well, God has that person there for you just as much as he has you there for that person. God has that person who seems to be needy there for her just as much as the person who is seemingly in a healthier spot is there for her. Now, here's what, here's what, we, here's what she began to realize, that that person was revealing some sin and some selfishness and some, some things in her own life that had actually brought her closer to the Lord. That that person's neediness was actually creating a neediness in her to go to the, the Word of God more. That that person's neediness and, and questioning and, and, and need for help was, was, was creating this tension where this, this person who's a leader is saying, I don't have anything to give her, Lord. And so she was having to go to the Lord more regularly, more often, and with more desperation because of this relationship with this person who seemed to be more weak and needy. And so what we have is God revealing more of himself through this weaker, right, individual 
who's not as far along perhaps or is in a more intense season of dependency. And, and God is using that situation and that person to reveal more of himself to the person who's discipling them, the person who's walking with them. So this starts to make sense of the next few verses. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's quite the opposite, Paul says. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker, seem to be weaker, are actually indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts, which are, are treated or unpresentable parts, rather, are treated with greater modesty. So he's actually just talking about the body here, and he's saying, listen, when it comes to the body, you can't just say, well, I don't need you because, you know, I'm the head, and, you know, you're not as important as the feet, and so I don't really need you feet. Paul says that would be ridiculous because it turns out the head's quite grateful for the feet to take the head where the head needs to go, right? And when you don't have feet, you, you start to miss your feet, Right? And, and, and you see this applied all throughout. But he goes on to say the, the parts that are seemingly weaker are actually indispensable. You realize this when you break like your pinky toe. It doesn't seem like that big a deal. Though that sucker's hurt or gone. And you realize like your balance is thrown off. And you, you feel that all, all around. You know, we, we have things in our body that we don't acknowledge on a day-to-day. -day, but I'm sure glad that my lungs are operating the way that they are, aren't, aren't you? But even that, that's a more vital organ. I'm sure glad my intestines are operating in the way that they are, aren't you? You're like, oh, that's gross. Well, when they stop, your whole body feels it, don't you? Messes everything up. So what Paul is saying is these parts that we think are weaker and, and not as presentable, we don't want people, he says, you keep them covered, right? You keep them covered. Nobody wants to see that. But man, you're glad that that we have that. You're glad that it's operating the way that it does. And, and this even could be, you know, He's had some conversation about gender in this, in this book. He could also be talking about the, the parts of our body that, that identify us as male and female and how that is good and right and, and, and should not be diminished and lines blurred, but instead celebrated and made to complement one another as God's image bearers. And so he could indeed be referencing all of that. But he says, listen, that doesn't mean you show them off. That doesn't mean you put them out there in the open. Rather, you, you treat them with, with a greater modesty. You treat them with greater honor because you keep them covered. And, and so likewise, Yes, the, the face of the church may be the people, you know, and that's not even a good word, but the peop, the, who people identify the church with may be the guy behind the pulpit uh, or the, the people on stage. But, but man, if we don't have the people operating behind the scenes, then church loses a lot of steam. We had a season like that in our church several years ago. It's a church plant. We're coming up, uh, let's see. October will be eight years we've been gathering together as a church, and, our, and somewhere, I think year two or three, we had a season where, um, yeah, we had, we had some, some good things from the front, but man, a lot of our, our mid-level management or, or just kind of the, the, the teams, you know, doing the day-to-day -day things kind of stopped, and so it was different. Some of you remember coming into a messy building, don't you, years ago? You remember coming in and being like, why is this not picked up? Like, what? This is filthy. You remember going in the bathroom and there not being toilet paper, don't you? We've seen this through the pandemic. All of a sudden, you're a little more grateful for grocery store workers, aren't you? Right? Didn't think a whole lot about them before, did you? Didn't think a whole... I, me personally, one of the things that I began to be more grateful for was truck drivers through this whole season. Wasn't that grateful for them before. Didn't think that much about them. Got mad at them a lot because they seemed to drive fast, not know I was there, and they're large and scary, right? On the interstate. 
57. It's a terrible deal. But, but you know what? I realized early on in the pandemic, like, they're, they're a crucial piece that's holding this deal together. If they keep running, we'll be all right. But if they stop, it's a big deal, right? Well, likewise, within the church, some of you never know the names of, of, of people who keep this church running by their anonymous generosity, right? They'll, they'll never be on stage. They're not going to get a name on our, our, a picture on our website. But, but because God has, has gifted them with the gift of generosity, we are able to continue doing the ministries that God has called us to do. Others of you will, will never know some of the men who serve, one in particular that doesn't want to be noticed. I would love to celebrate him all day, but he, but he serves, he, he puts in like hours, sometimes hours laboring for our church. And, and a lot of the improvements you've seen, if you've seen the new uh, student minister office, that was just gifted, like somebody just gifted their labor to continue to serve and serve and serve. Doesn't want any recognition, doesn't even have to be asked. That's just what he serves to do. Listen, when, when those things stop happening, when, when people stop, um, you know, tending for the church and planning worship or putting things into the computer or, or recording things so that we can catch up when we're not online, you fill in the blank. When those sorts of things stop happening, the whole body feels it, don't we? And so it's not just about the people with the microphone. Rather, it's about all of us doing what God has called us to do, what God has gifted us to do. And so to say that this person doesn't matter as much because of their, you know, their gift is of less esteem or to say that I really don't need them or they're dispensable is an affront to how God has put together his church. To say that anybody, yourself included, is dispensable is an affront to how God has put his church together. For some of you, that's going to be the biggest challenge, is just beginning to acknowledge the fact that God has you here, you here, to, make, to, to advance his mission, to advance his kingdom, and to make much of his name. For some of you, that's a totally new thought. You don't see how that could be true. You don't see how God could possibly have used you. Well, listen. This is what he's getting at here. Uh, Pastor John Piper says that, that our limited ability, that God gives us limited and limitations and limited ability because he loves us. Some of you get frustrated because you're not this or you're not that, that you're not to the level of maturity of this person or you can't teach like this person or sing like this person or, or even you know, manage your house like this other person. And, and what Paul is getting at here is, is we, shouldn't look down, like we shouldn't look down upon ourselves and up at others. Rather, we acknowledge that, no, no, God has, has put this together on purpose and he's put giftings in you, not so that you can increase in your status and how people view you, but rather so that you could give to others and give to the church to help meet areas and needs where others aren't as gifted. That one's a little easier to understand, but we have to also understand that God has, has put limitations on us and struggles within us, not so that we can just be angry and frustrated and feel like until we get here, we won't be worth anything. No, no, no. Rather, he says, no, no, right here in this midst of weakness, I'm showing you my love because I have gifted somebody else to come and serve you in your weakness. And when they serve you, you will experience more of me. And so we have to stop 
coming in thinking, okay, I've got to get to this place and get to this place, otherwise I won't have value in the church, or, or thinking, okay, once the church gets here, or we get this sort of person on the stage, or whatever. No, no, no. We, we, we look around and go, okay, God, like, Jordan's gifted here, but man, he's really weak here. Really? No amens? You guys are just asleep, right? But Right? And, that, and that's true. God's gifted me in some ways, but I'm really weak in other ways. And so I need others to come alongside and to, and to, to serve me, but ultimately to serve Christ by, by meeting a, a need where I am not strong. And, and that's just true all the way across the body, all the way across his church. And so he's saying, don't look down upon some, some, some part of the body that you just, you know, nobody celebrates what the kidneys do that often, do they? Again, until they stop working, we don't really think about them. But don't take them for granted. Don't say that they're not that big a deal because your body needs them. The body needs them, and they're important. And so this is where Paul goes on to say, uh, <clears throat> verse 25, actually, let's read 24 again. With, with our more presentable parts, uh, which our more presentable parts do not require. So, yeah, the head doesn't require covering, and we get celebrate it more, but again, if we don't have these other parts, the head is going to feel that. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Greater honor. That there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. So here's what he, he's pointing back to the way that Jesus did things. If you remember how Jesus did ministry, who did Jesus honor? Who did Jesus hold up as examples? Was it the really pious and religious and, and got it all together religious people, the leaders of the church? No, he called those guys out a lot. Who did he hold up as examples? The sick, the lame, people with faith. You remember the poor, the widow's might? You remember stories like that? Where Jesus says, hey, you may think, man, you know, we're tended to think, man, so, God, so glad God has, has gifted some of you to give large donations to our church so that we can keep operating. Jesus says, yeah, that's great. But you see that lady that just put in a penny? Just put in a little mite. She gave more. Why? Well, because she's, that, she's what Paul is talking about here. The part that, that seems to be less honorable says, no, 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 she gets held up as the example. She's held up as honorable. We see language like this all throughout the Old Testament, and then Jesus comes in. It says mountains are going to be brought low and valleys will be brought high. That when Jesus comes to bring the kingdom, the whole world's ecosystem, the way that we value things is going to get flipped upside down. Where Jesus says, you think this, but I'm telling you this. You think this is the way to get fulfillment in life. I'm telling you, you got to lay that down and pursue this. Well, the same thing happens within the church. You think this is what's good and exalted, and when you get here, life will be good. No, no, no. Acknowledge where you are here, and we're all a part of the same deal. And so Jesus holds up the widow with her might. Jesus holds up the children. Yeah, kiddo. Right? You remember, in society, they didn't value children. They didn't want, you know, the kids started coming to Jesus, and his disciples were like, hey, 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 you know, give him some space. And Jesus goes, no, no, let those kids come to me. Those kids come to me. And then he uses them to teach everybody else. He says, y'all need to have faith like this kid. Right? So, so we have to shift our thinking. If we're going to rightly pursue spiritual gifts, if we're going to rightly pursue the mission that God has for us here, and we want to see the Spirit move more in our church, we all need to humble ourselves, stop thinking of ourselves so much, stop thinking about what other people are thinking. And I get it, man. None of us want to be dispensable, do we? 
Like that's, that's like all of our worst fears to be dispensable, to, to, to be not worth anything to anybody and to be able to be done without. Like we see that in kids, right? Getting picked last in, in a game in PE or, or whatever. Like, but to be dispensable, is that, it, it gets at this core fear that we have. But listen, the gospel doesn't come in and answer that by, by all of this self-image, self-esteem, promotion stuff. You see, that's actually the lie of the enemy. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis, the lie from the enemy is that, hey, you can be independent like God. Just do this. You don't need each other. You don't need God. Just do this. You, you'll, you'll have the knowledge that God has. You'll, you'll know what he knows. Here's the deal. We, we gain our value and we experience God through quite the opposite. It's by acknowledging that we don't have it all and we never will. And we enter into this complementary interdependence in, in God's his body. And in that, man, we, we experience life. So here's the deal. You, we have to become comfortable with expressing our needs to one another. I remember one of our friends, uh, you know, a couple guys in the church, like, we're, we're, I was in the room whenever one of them found out that the other had gone through surgery. And the other was mad. Like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell us? We want to pray for you. We want to serve you. We would have been there. Well, and sometimes I can come out of a, a place of, of pride, right? Independent. Well, I, don't, I didn't need anything. No, no. We need to be comfortable saying like, hey, I, I, I need you. I need help with this. That could be as practical as a bill. Like, hey, we're, we're struggling this month. And if, I, if we don't have help, we're going to have to add to our debt. Like, that's a healthy conversation. But it also could be like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep going. I, I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with this sin. I can't get free of it. We can't live life on our own and keep thinking, I got this. I got this. And they'll accept me once I got this. No, 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 no. We have to say, hey, here's why I don't have it. I need you to come and be a part of it with me. That's where we'll experience the fullness of God's love for us, individually and corporately. And when we do that, when we start to live, like, that is a compelling community. That's a compelling community. Where the, the, the weak and the, what the world says are dispensable are actually held in honor. Not just tolerated. Those people, again, in our church, our relationships where, man, you're just like, ah, you'll tolerate them being in your group, or you'll tolerate them talking to you on the phone, or you'll tolerate them calling you. No, no, no. We need to flip that. We need to go, okay, God, what do you have for me in this relationship? I'm going to be what I can for them, but what do you have for me in this relationship? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in Life Together. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. The person who loves their dream of community will actually destroy community, but the person who loves those around him, the person who loves those around them, will create community. We need to reframe the question. Instead of asking, why can't I be more like that, fill in the blank, whatever that is, to what opportunities is God giving me in my limitations to experience more of his gracious love? 
Instead of saying, why can't I be more like that? We start asking, what, what opportunities has God given me in my limitations to experience more of his gracious love? See, Paul is using a, a, a popular example here that people in the culture would be familiar with where Roman uh, officials and other you know, people, it, they would use it to, to, to say to the society, particularly whenever laborers were on strike, they would say, hey, we're all in this together, and if you guys stop, we're all going to suffer. Meaning, hey, you keep doing your thing so that we don't have to you know, feel any of this pressure. Well, Paul uses the same mentality, the same image of being a body, but he flips it and says, yeah, yeah, it's not just about those that are weaker and less presentable keeping doing their thing so we all don't feel it. Rather, it's those who think they're better than they are, those who esteem themselves higher than they are, realizing that without those who are are doing the, the, the more, you know, less presentable things that we all suffer. And so we need one another in both sense of the word. We can't think that we're too good and, and we don't need the church because we got this all together, but at the same time, we can't think that we're too bad and the church doesn't need us. Neither of those is true because we derive our value. We're, we're the body of Christ. Well, Christ is the head. The most presentable part of the body is the head. Well, our head the person of Jesus Christ. He came to be dispensable for you and I. You realize that? That Jesus could have sat on his throne and thought, man, these people, they're dispensable. I don't really need them. And he didn't. Didn't really need us. We didn't offer him anything. But he came and made himself dispensable. His own life he gave freely in love. The Bible says it's the greatest display of love. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we get our value because our head made himself dispensable so that we could all be made a part of the body of Christ. And so we need to start loving one another, looking at ourselves and one another as having value based on being an image bearer of Christ, being, being someone who Christ shed his blood for, not because we're gifted or not gifted, and not thinking that we'll be more lovable once we get to this level of skill or giftedness, but rather we are, we are lovable because Jesus said we are, and the cross says we are. So if you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't know. I don't have any self-esteem. I don't know what I'd bring to the church. I don't know what all this means for me. What it all means for you is that we have a Savior who came to make himself nothing so that you and I could experience life. That we have a Savior who came and, and gave all that he had, made himself weak, made, let himself be made dispensable so that you and I could be indispensable, interdependent parts of his body and therefore experience the life that he has for us. We need to live accordingly, church. Wherever that finds you, we need to live accordingly. Let's pray. God, help us to lean in to this truth. Whatever that looks like, wherever we are, if we don't know you, Lord, if there are people here who have never trusted you as their Savior, would you move in such a way this morning that they would begin to, to have the faith to just say, Lord, I need you to save me. And would you do that this morning? Would you save souls, Lord? We want to celebrate that more than anything else. That's what all the spiritual gifts, that's what all of it's aiming to, toward is people knowing Jesus as the Savior. So, so help us, Lord, for those that are in our midst, Lord, help us to see you as the good Savior, and to trust you with our life. Lord, for the rest of us, help us to move toward what you've called us to be, your body, 
dependent upon one another as we're all dependent upon you. Help us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.